this morning we are continuing our series called I Am. These are the words of Jesus. He makes seven I Am statements in the book of John, and as uh, the slide says, this is Jesus in his own words. Just to let you know where we've been, in case you want to go back, all of our sermons are on YouTube, or on Facebook, or on our website, lordchurch.org, and you can find them there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Today we're down to the second of the last, I Am the Way, the Truth, and the Life. So that is where we're taking off today. And, and make no mistake that when Jesus says, I am, he knows exactly what he's doing. And so did the people of the first century, because I am was the name that God gave Moses. When Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? Say that I am. I am that I am is sending me. So Jesus in, in today's verse is going to say that I am the way, the truth, and the life. But before we get too deep, I have to take a quick survey. How many history buffs out there? All right, we're going to put you to the test today. All right, I want you, this is a word association game, so I'm going to say this person's name, and I want you to shout out the first thing that pops into your head. Okay, I'll give you a couple of hints. 15th century explorer, Spain. Uh, no, 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 I'm going to say the name, then you, then you do this. I, I appreciate your enthusiasm. <laughs> All right, so here's the name, and I want you to say what comes to mind when I say this name. Ponce de Leon. What? French? French. French. Oh, no. <laughs> is, is it? <laughs> Sounds big, I don't know. Ponce de Leon. Any, anybody? Anybody? Fountain of Youth, there we go. That, that almost took as long as a Google search, but not quite. So he, he was famous for seeking the Fountain of Youth. Uh, if you don't know what he looks like, that, that's him. So he's a little petrified now, it's been a while. And apparently did not find the Fountain of Youth. So yeah, he never found the Fountain of Youth, but you know, here's the thing, that he is famous for this search, for the Fountain of Youth, but do you know that Ponce de Leon never knew that he was looking for the Fountain of Youth? In fact, he had no desire to find the Fountain of Youth. This story was concocted later by someone who was trying to disparage him, literally. In, in the court of Spain, this guy who was an official record keeper started this story that he was looking for this Fountain of Youth because he was such a puny little man and he needed help and vitality. So Ponce de Leon never was looking for the Fountain of Youth, but that's what we know him for today. Now, fortunately, I have found the Fountain of Youth. It is in Florida. It's a tourist site. You can pay, I don't know what, but this is a, an older picture, obviously, but uh, <laughs> it's not my personal picture. <laughs> but you can pay a certain amount of money and you can get a drink of water. Now, this is in St. Augustine, Florida. Okay, so if you're the people who own this park, man, you need some help. Because what do you notice about all the people in this picture? <laughs> They're all, they're all uh, they had a few trips around the sun, okay? These are not young people. So I'm thinking, if you're the person who is marketing the fountain of youth, shouldn't you put some young people in the picture? Or at least label this before? And then have another one that says, after? Marketing fail. These people don't know what they're doing. They need some serious help. But anyway, uh, you can see the, the ridiculousness of this. So this is, is a, you know, one of those things that you kind of have to check. Nobody really expects to go there and drink something and become magically young, I hope. 
But yet, we fall for things all the time. We, we do things in our own way, we have our own expectations, and they don't always line up with reality. I don't know if you're aware of this or if anybody else has this problem, but here's what I have learned. This is a, a uh, I pulled this right off of a YouTube video that was, you know, kind of be a better you website, and here's what it says. Your beliefs create your reality. Well, that's so good there just a second. Your beliefs create your reality. Is that true? That's what I thought, Lex. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Here's the sad part. I think that is true. Our beliefs create our reality, but they don't reflect, reflect reality. See, this is the problem. Sean McDowell is, is an apologist for the Christian faith, and, and the youth group, we were talking about this recently, he said this, your beliefs do not create reality. But your beliefs should reflect reality. So where do we find this reality that is not of my own making? Well, we find it in the way, the truth, and the life. So we're going to jump into John chapter 14, and if you want to play along the home game here, verses 1 through 6. To set the stage, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. This is part of the great farewell discourse in verses 14 through 17. Jesus is preparing his disciples. He's about to leave this earth, and he is about to leave the mission of spreading his word across the world to these 12 disciples. It's going to be 11 in just a minute, but that's another story. So literally, just hours before his death, he is sharing this knowledge with them. And these are the words that he says to them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has plenty of room. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God. And for these words, we're grateful. I love the way Jesus does this. He, he talks straight to the disciples. He tells it like it is. This is a guy I would follow anywhere because he doesn't mess around. He tells it just like it is. He tells us what to expect. And he gives them encouragement. Remember what I just said in the setting of this. Jesus is just hours away from the most horrific death that you can imagine, and he knows it. And what does he spend his time doing? Encouraging his disciples. Man, that is leadership, is it not? He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. What, why did he say your heart? Why did he say let your mind, don't let your mind be troubled? In that time, the heart was the center of the will. The will as in their determination. He knows that they're going to face some very tough times ahead. He knows that there's a mission that needs to be done. And so basically, in essence, he is saying, do not waver in your determination to spread this good news, despite what you're going to see in the next week. Don't waver. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I also appreciate that he's trying to encourage them. But you know what else I appreciate? Uh, this, this analogy of the Father's house with plenty of room. See, back in that day, 
when, when you had extended family, if you, you had family and they married and, and they brought more family in, the understanding was it would be on a family property. And if there were rooms available, you just took a room, but if there weren't, you built on. And so it's kind of like a lot of little tiny homes on a plot of land, and the family lived there. So in essence, what Jesus is saying is, you will be with my father's house. There's lots of room there, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And he means it. He also says he's going to come back and take us there. I'm thinking he means that too. But here's what I really appreciate about this. How many people, uh, if I said the, the name Thomas as a disciple, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Thomas. Doubting Thomas. But you know what? If Thomas didn't doubt, I wouldn't have some of my questions answered. I appreciate Thomas because he goes, hey, Lord, uh, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then we get this beautiful discourse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then if you read the rest of it, as I always say, read in circles, or a little bit before, a little bit after, a little bit before, a little bit after, you're going to find that Jesus says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. You know the Father, and you know the way. I am the way. Jesus doesn't mince words. Jesus means what he says, and Jesus legitimately cares. He wants us to be a part of everything that he has. So I want to take a part of the way, the truth, and the life here for a second. Because to fully understand what Jesus is calling to, we have to understand each of these. But you can't understand them alone. It's a three-pack. right? So the way, truth, and life go together. But I'm going to start with the truth. And why am I messing up the order? Because here's my supposition. If you don't think this is true, you're not going to follow it. If you don't think this is true, you're not going to be willing to die for this. If you don't think this is true... You're not going to be willing to live for this. See, dying for things is pretty easy. But living for things, now that takes commitment. So let's start with the truth. Just ahead. Now, the truth that Jesus is talking about is reality. Not what we think. Not what we expect. But reality. And who better knows how reality works than the one who created the universe? That Jesus was there in the beginning. He was the Word, made flesh. He knows exactly what's going on in him. All things are held together. So if you were to ask for an expert in reality, that would be Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in another spot in John 8, 31, 32. He's talking to Jews who had believed him. And he says that the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth set you free. See, the truth that Jesus is talking about is one that sets us free. The truth is the one that he knows, that he ascribes to because he was there when it was created. The first thing we have to do is to understand that there is such a thing as absolute truth. Uh, let, me, let me give you a, a quick example here. Let's say, what happens if I continue walking without looking? I'm going to fall. Why? Gravity? Oh, well, see, gravity is good for you, but I don't believe in gravity, so it just doesn't apply to me. Said no one ever. That was, that had not experienced that, right? Yeah, absolutely. If I take a step off the stage and I'm not looking, gravity is there. It's an absolute truth, and I cannot deny it. I can deny it, but I can't deny what actually happens. Which, you know, when you think about it, it gives you a really interesting look when people talk about the wrath of God. 
Like God has all these rules. Do this, don't do that. Uh, that's an old song. Sorry. Sorrel. Anyway. So, <laughs> so this, this idea that there's absolute truth is absolutely true. I can't say, I can say whatever I want, but it, I am going to fall. It happens. Now, the wrath of God is such that when God says, do this, don't do that, he's making rules because he knows what those absolute truths are. And one of those rules might be, Bill, don't step off the stage without looking, lest you be smited. That's a good biblical word. Now, if I do that, and I know that he told me not to, but I do it anyway, and I get hurt, well, that's the wrath of God. God just crushed him. No, I'm just an idiot. That's what that was. God's wrath sometimes is a natural consequence of disobeying absolute truth in our lives. There is such a thing as absolute truth, and Jesus knows what it is. It's absolute truth that sets us free. If you look all the way back into the Garden of Eden, when, when Eve was first eyeballing that apple, the very first sin that ever happened, look at the language that's there in chapters 2 and 3. You will be surprised at how much freedom there is in the Garden of Eden. It literally says, as God is talking to Adam and Eve, you are free to eat of any fruit in the garden, except. Now, parents, you know how this works. If you tell your child, you can go anywhere in the house except this one room, where will you find them? In that one room, of course, because that's, that's human nature. That talks a lot about who we are as humans. So that leads us to the next point. As humans, we have this way that we are, and sometimes it's good, and sometimes it's not so good. Um, but, but here's the thing that Jesus has to say about this way. He says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few will find it. Those words are out of Matthew 7, 13, and 14. Why would God make it so hard for us to find this way? Why isn't the way that is good broad? <clears throat> Why is the way that is good so narrow? Is God trying to hide this? Is Jesus trying to keep this way a secret? No, Jesus wants us to walk on this journey. It's us that have the problem. It's fallen human nature that makes us go into the one room he said we couldn't, that makes us eat the one apple that he said you can't eat. Everything else you're free to do. But no, we are hard-headed. Proverbs says it this way in Proverbs 14, 12. This is what I call the tweets of the Bible because you got wisdom in 40 characters or less, right? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end leads to death. See, this is what we're capable of by ourselves. This is why we need a Savior. More importantly, this is why we need a Savior who knows absolute truth and who speaks to that, who gives us guidance. And who comes and shows us the way to live. See, Jesus would be a, a great teacher if he just said a bunch of stuff. It's not just that. He, he came to this earth in human form, fully God, fully human, and lived a life. He showed us how. He showed us the way. How many times do we go counter to what he says? <laughs> I, I could give you a tally of that for me today. That's human nature at its best. But Christ is willing to walk with us. Christ
Christ calls us back to that way. Christ calls us to the example that he left for us. And it's a good way because it's based on truth. The next one is life. I want to change my life. Well, a lot of people will say that. I have a desire to change my life. I have a desire to change things for the better. But here's the thing. If the change that I'm contemplating is not based on this absolute truth, and if it's not done in the way that Jesus would do it, your life's not really going to be any different, any better. Any newer. Life's going to look a lot like it did yesterday and the day before. But if you really want transformation, we have to understand where Jesus is coming from. We have to understand there's absolute truth. We have to do it in the way that Jesus does it. And then maybe the change can occur. Then maybe we have access to what Jesus is talking about because here's the thing that also makes me love Jesus. This is a guy I would follow anywhere, like I said, because he tells it like it is. And here's what he says about this life that we live. Jesus is talking again to his disciples. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus doesn't mince words. He knows we're going to have trouble. He knows the world that we're living in. And he knows that we created it. And despite all of that, he chooses to come down in human form and suffer this terrible death and give us the opportunity to return to paradise. Think about that. that. What is paradise? It isn't walking in the presence of God. It is being in his eternal presence. That's where Jesus is taking us back to the beginning, back to the way that God intended. And so many times we try to put our way or our things into uh, what we think is reality. I think of the people so many centuries ago that waved palm branches and shouted Hosanna as Jesus rode in because they had this dream that here comes the guy who's going to overthrow the Romans. They're going to establish this kingdom like they had under David or maybe Solomon in the early times. But see, that's thinking too small for Jesus. Because the first time they tried that, it lasted about a generation and a half. And then it went south. It affected a small region of a country and a few nations surrounding it. Jesus' plan is one that is eternal. It affects us still today, and it's not just a part of the world. It is the whole world. Because as I read this book, he loved the whole world. That's how big Jesus is. So we have to abandon our plans and accept what he has to get even greater things than we can imagine. So this changing of life is an, an emphasis on eternal life. If you, if you notice... When Jesus is talking in verses uh, 1 through 6 here in, in John 14, he says that um, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am going to a place, and, and I will take you there as well. Jesus is not the destination. Let me say that again. Jesus is not the destination. But here's why I say that. Because so many of us, I think, in, in North America make Jesus our destination. Do we not? Here's, here's an example. Oh, well, um, yeah, I believe in Jesus, so I'm good. Okay, but do you live like Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you obey the commands and teachings of Jesus? Because that's what makes a changed life. That's what makes a transformed world. 
Jesus had a similar argument with the Jews when he said, well, we are sons of Abraham. Why would we need you? They looked at what he's saying is just because you have a title, just because you have a history of faith does not make what I'm looking for, does not transform your life. What I'm looking for is people who confess that I am who I say I am and follow the way based on the truth. And that's a changed life. So how can I change my life today? I know that's what you're asking. Here's some steps that we can take. Ask yourself these three questions. Do my beliefs reflect reality? Not do my beliefs create reality. Do my beliefs reflect reality? I would love if I were never sick, never ill. But reality is this body breaks down. It's a fallen body. I have to accept that and work through that. I would love if I never had arguments or conflicts with those I love, but this is the world that we live in. I would love if I didn't get laid off from a job or got fired from a job or couldn't find a job, but this is the reality that we live in. And the problem of attaching our reality to our faith is when it doesn't work out like we think it should, we tend to cast it all aside, and that includes it didn't work out like I expected, so Jesus must not be who he said he is, so he's out the door. I'll look for the next best thing. Folks, I'm here to tell you there is no next best thing. It's Jesus and it's reality. And once we make that connection, we can work through those difficult times. We can find that peace that passes understanding. We can find purpose. We can find meaning. We can find mission. We can tell the world that he is who he says he is. That's what Jesus offers us. So do my beliefs reflect reality? The second one, did my actions reflect Jesus' teaching in life today? This is what I call my daily debrief. Sometimes, uh, a time ago, I used to write down all these things where I fell short. But then I ran out of notebook. So I I just kind of tried to summarize, get the highlights, right? Did my actions today reflect Jesus' teaching in life? And if not, how can I do that better tomorrow? I promise you that it's not an overnight fix, but if you'll do this on a regular basis, you'll begin to see ways where you can act differently, where you can interact with the world in such a way that they know you're a follower of Jesus. And they'll be curious. What is it that makes you different? Why doesn't that get under your skin like it does other people? How can you forgive that person? See, these are faith questions that begin to come out when we live in a way that reflects Jesus. And this is our opportunity to spread the good news. You don't have to memorize every book in this Bible. You don't have to memorize every Greek verb conjugated. How many people were saved because someone could conjugate a Greek verb? That's what I thought. How many people were saved because you saw or heard a story of someone whose life was transformed by Christ? All right, now we're making progress. How many people are here because your mom and dad made you go to church? (laughs) Don't answer that. (laughs) That's how I started, but hey, it worked out. All right, and finally, are my actions life-giving? Are my actions life-giving? I'm not talking about what other people do to you. I'm talking about what is my response to this life. Are my actions life-giving to those around me? Are my actions life-giving to me? Are my actions honoring to Jesus Christ? Because if the answer to that is no, then I need to change not just what I think, but how I behave. That makes all the difference in the world. 
So while possibly the only never found the fountain of youth, we have found a fountain of unending grace, just as we sang this morning. It's amazing grace that breaks change, that, that sets us free. And that language of freedom that we find back in Genesis that calls us back to the way that God created us to be with him in eternity in paradise. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We just have to make sure that we're following the right way, the absolute truth, and our life will be transformed. This is not a new conversation. In fact, I'm going to invite Moses to close out this sermon today. Because Moses had this conversation with Israel. They've been wandering in the desert for almost 40 years at this point. This is at the very end of Moses' life when they're about ready to transition into the promised land. And these are the words that Moses had for them. And Moses speaks to us words heard today. Listen to the words of Moses. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, Keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I will declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and earth as witnesses to you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him for the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land that he has promised. Words are that is is the way of truth in the life. Choose life. What is life? The Lord is our life. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for a son that went through so much to show us the way. Thank you for a son that faced every temptation that we did, every frailty of the human body, even as he knew where he had come from, even as he knew the mission that he faced, as he knew that the path he walked would result in that walk down the Via Dolorosa, towards a cross, toward a hill called Calvary, so this painful death to be mocked, to scorned, and beaten, crucified on the cross like a common criminal. God, thank you for showing us that way. Thank you also that we know the rest of the story, and that's not the end. Because that way continues on to an empty grave that we'll hear about next week, God. But remind us not to pass by this moment, this moment of intense suffering that was driven by love. A love so great that I can't understand. A love so great that I, I can't fathom that it would be offered to me. God, that makes me all the more grateful. Thank you for a love that I can't understand. Thank you for grace. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for the opportunity to follow your back to an eternity with you as you created us to be. But God, where we fall short, help us by the power of your spirit, not just to be a little better every day, but to be transformed 
by your spirit. Rewire us, God. Let our affections and our attentions be solely focused on you. And let the outpouring of that show the world who you are. That we are your disciples. That you are our life. You are our Lord. You are everything. Pray this in Jesus' name.